The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. So happy that you're here. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, today we're talking about emotions, specifically two emotions, joy and sadness. How many of you have ever experienced the feeling of joy? Go ahead and raise your hand. Absolutely. How about sadness? All right, absolutely, for sure. A lot of times these two emotions do go hand in hand, and we experience them um, a lot. Almost on a daily basis we can experience both joy and sadness. They are opposites. But I uh, like from the movie Inside Out, one of the strongest cases from that movie, Pastor Nick talked about uh, you guys watching, and I watched it with my family. Um, one of the major points of that movie is that sometimes the only way to really appreciate joy is to experience sadness. So we're going to be talking about both of these emotions. I also want to give you an update on the North property up north. We're uh, attempting to sell 57 acres to help us expand here at 4705 Grove. This week we had a meeting with the hearing examiner. It went well. He has 15 days to decide on that. So we're just asking for your continued prayer for that meeting and that everything would go smoothly for that property to sell. And appreciate your prayers. With that, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 16 and verse 16. John 16, verse 16, four books into the New Testament, and we're going to be dealing with uh, some emotions in that passage of Scripture. I want to define sadness and joy, as well as give you a definition of Christian joy. Define sadness, sadness according to Webster's Dictionary. Affected by unhappiness or grief, sorrowful or mournful. Joy defined, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying, keen pleasure, elation. Lastly here, definition of Christian joy by John Piper. I love the way he defines it. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word, and in the world. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as it causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. As we turn to John 16, I want to open up with a story um, from the masters. Now, if some of you uh, may or may not know this about me, but I like to play golf, not all the time because I have a family and it takes too much time, but um, I love playing golf. I'm horrible but it's still fun. And one of the things I enjoy even more than playing at times is watching golf on TV, specifically the Masters. Recently, the Masters was on, uh, it's usually in the beginning of April. It's always at Augusta in Georgia. Beautiful golf course, tons of storylines. One of the biggest storylines was Tiger Woods returning to golf after you know, a big, huge uh, you know, break from, from golf. He played well, but did not win. And so I'm always watching the storylines, the leaderboard, who's winning, all the different stories. One of the things that caught my attention early on, it's a four-day tournament, so early on come Friday, Saturday, what caught my attention was Patrick Reed. He was a guy from Augusta, uh, from that area, played for the college team there, won some different awards and, and different tournaments through that school, and he's starting to you know, build his rank up in the tournament, getting higher and higher on the leaderboard. Come Sunday afternoon is when, if you win, you get the green jacket. You're, it's a really big moment in golf. It's kind of like the Super Bowl of golf. Well, one of the big moments in golf 
on this particular tournament is on the 18th hole as you take your final shot and you head up to the final 18th green. He was in the lead. He had to, he had to hit a, a par to win the tournament. And usually the crowd stands in ovation and not only do they cheer, but they like roar. Now this is big for golf because everything you know in golf is supposed to be real quiet, you know. But as, as you make your way to the 18th, 18th green, there's supposed to be this elation and this joy and like I said, this roaring from the crowd. Well, the crowd did stand and they, and they began to cheer for him, but there was not, they were not roaring. They were, there was not a lot of excitement about him being in the leaderboard. And even prior to Sunday, there were storylines about how people don't like him, they don't want him to win, and I, I, had no, I knew nothing about his life, nothing about his past. I just thought, man, cool that he's never won, love to see him win. He sinks the four-foot putt, people cheer, but again, no roaring, no real big excitement. And I, 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 it was just a mystery to me because I've been watching the Masters for so long. I decided to do a little bit of reading on sort of why. Why was the crowd not roaring? And I think this story really shows us joy and sadness being at play together. I have an article from ESPN. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's too long. But let me just read a few little things from this article. It says, Patrick Reed's father was crying on the phone. I was crying on the phone. We both had good reasons. Bill Reed's son had just won the Masters, and he wanted to give him a hug. My mother died far too young years ago, and I wanted to give her a hug. Neither of us could have what we wanted most. So we cried together Monday morning, two 50-something fathers, talking about regrets and family divisions and the people and the things people wish they would have said and done before loved ones passed away. We talked about green jackets too. Patrick won the Masters three miles from where his father Bill, mother Jeanette, and younger sister Hannah watched with family friends. Sunday evening from their Augusta home, they were uninvited guests to the coronation of golf's brash new 27-year-old king. And yet the moment Patrick sank his winning putt, his mother, father, and sister started hysterically weeping as they fell into a group embrace. As we were all hugging as a family, Bill said, we said, this is for Patrick too. We are all hugging him too. He lost it on the phone. I lost it on the phone. We thought about trying to go there and sit back outside the ceremony, Bill said, but we couldn't find any badges. The Reeds have not spoken to their son and brother in six years. Like most family estrangements, theirs is complicated. It's Patrick and his wife Justine and her family on one side, and Bill, Jeanette, Hannah, and her family on the other. The Reeds are not welcome at Patrick's tournaments. Golf.com reported that they were escorted off the grounds of the 2014 U.S. Open on his wife Justine's wishes. Some years ago, I ran into Bill at a tournament, and it was clear he was trying to watch his son play golf without anyone noticing he was watching his son play golf. The Reeds have two young children that, that their grandparents have never met. And I'll read the last portion of this article. As parents, Bill said, you want the best for your children, no matter what they are doing. You want them to succeed at the highest level, especially in Patrick's case, because he's always been a tireless worker. I have goosebumps just talking about it. Bill started to say something about his hope that his son 
wakes up one day and, and, and then he lost it again. I followed his lead. Bill's son, Bill Reed's son, just won the Masters and all the winning father wanted was a hug. Now, obviously, I know there's probably more to that story and there's always two sides to every story and I'm sure it's much more complicated than just today's article. But again, it goes to show you that a lot of times in life, there's amazing joy that can happen, but there also can be amazing sadness that happens exactly at the same time. In fact, in this story, we see, we see that Patrick Reed is, a, you know, has, is the winner of the biggest golf tournament really in the history of the game. Only a very selected group of individuals have ever won the Masters and have got to wear the green jacket. And at the biggest stage, when usually the champion, after he makes the final putt, usually embraces an entire family. There's usually the wife, all the kids, the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, and the uncles, all that, cousins, everybody. But in this case, when he wins, the only person he embraces is his wife. You see, what do we do with these kinds of emotions? What do we do with joy and sadness? Here's a great question. What did Jesus do with these kinds of emotions? How did Jesus respond when he experienced joy and sadness or those around him experienced joy or sadness? Let's pick it up in John 16, verse 16 here. It says, In a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, here's Jesus talking, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you'll rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You're, you, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive and joy, and you will have abundant joy. Just a little bit of background for a minute here. You have John the disciple. He's the writer of this book. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was called, when he became a fisherman, he was called right then to become a follower of Jesus and come and be a part of Jesus' ministry. And you can imagine the excitement and the joy that John had being with Jesus. Think about this for a minute. With Jesus, he saw the changing of water to wine. With Jesus, he saw the healing of an official son. With Jesus, he saw the healing of a lame man. With Jesus, he saw the feeding of the 5,000. With Jesus, he saw Jesus walking on water. Jesus healed a man born blind. I mean, what joyful time for John 
the disciple and the rest of the disciples to be around Jesus, to experience all these amazing things. And Jesus has such a fond and love for the disciples. That in this passage of scripture, what he begins to explain to them, his heart for them is this. Listen, I'm going to be leaving you soon. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm going to be gone. And you're going to experience a tremendous amount of sorrow and weeping. There's going to be complete, utter sadness when I leave. The first thing I want you to know today, when we're talking about sadness here, Jesus acknowledges the disciples' grieving hearts. He recognizes that they're about to experience a strong dose of sadness and grief. And if Jesus cares for the disciples and what is about to happen to them, I want you to hear, hear me today that he cares all the more for what is happening to you right now. In fact, Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalms 56, 8, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. When it comes to sadness, it's so important to understand that God, God, the creator of the universe, God, the master of design, God, the one who set people free from diseases, the one who changed water to wine, the one who gave his life for you and me, God is, cares so much about you and I and our grief and our sadness that he's keeping track of it in a bottle. I want you to think about that for a minute. That every tear that you shed in this life, God is saying that he has a bottle full of them. That he doesn't let a single tear drop to the ground. That he catches every tear of sadness that you and I face in this life. That God loves us so very much. That God's plan and his perfected plan for our lives and the care that he has for you and I as his children is that he's keeping track of our tears and catching our tears in a bottle. It makes me think about heaven. When I read a passage that God catches every tear of mine in a bottle, it makes me think about heaven. I, I wonder what heaven will be like. I, I wonder whether or not when I get to heaven or when you get to heaven, I wonder if part of the tour that we get to have is we get to go and look on the wall of our house and go, hey, hey Andrew, you see that bottle right there? That, those are all your tears that I've been catching for you. See, Revelations tells us that in heaven there will be no, no more tears. There will be no more pain. All the tears will be gone. There will be complete joy and surrender. And I wonder, sometimes I think when I read this, I go, man, I, I even wonder if there's like multiple bottles. Like one bottle was my, my parents' divorce and the pain of that and God catching all those tears. Well, one bottle is when I, when I failed math three different times at every community college and felt like a failure. All those tears. What, what, one bottle is when I didn't get the job. What one bottle of tears may be the, the breakup or the divorce or the pain. 
Well, one, one bottle may be the loss of my dad and all the tears that was shed when he passed, the tears that are still shed. I wonder what that will be like to see those bottles. Then I start thinking, what will I get to do with them? Like, I wonder if I get to take all these tears that I've shed, that you've shed, that God has been keeping track of because he loves us so much, and I wonder if we get to pour them on the feet of Jesus. I, I wonder if we get to break them and realize that now we're reunited with our loved ones, we're in paradise where there's no more pain and anguish. Today, if you're facing a tremendous amount of sadness and pain, if you're facing heartache, if you're brokenhearted, if you're crushed in spirit, if you feel depressed, you feel lonely, you feel like no one cares, you feel like you cry and no one catches them and no one hears them, I'm here to encourage you today that God cares deeply for people who are dealing with sadness. Catches every single tear. Cares deeply for the brokenhearted and the crushed. Goes on to say here in this passage that that the world will rejoice over what's about to happen to Jesus. I find that very odd. Kind of reminds me of the difference between worldly happiness and godly joy and how different they may be. That Jesus is about to die a horrid death on the cross. He will be beaten. He will receive a crown of thorns on his head. He will take large nails through his hands. He will suffocate and die on a tree, feeling abandoned and lost by most everybody that love and care for him. And the world is going, yeah! Woo! That seems odd, doesn't it? That the world will rejoice over that. It's just another great reminder today that we live in a culture where we celebrate and praise the wrong things in the wrong way. And this is not joy. This is not godly joy. Jesus says, you will have sorrow now. You're going to experience sorrow now. It's important to understand with sadness, back to sadness now, you and I have to experience sadness. You and I should experience sadness. And sadness is a real emotion that we cannot deny or suppress. In fact, research is done physically and mentally that if we don't find the proper outlets to release our sadness, to release the pain, to release the hurt, it can physically do tremendous harm to our body. We have got to express and release our sadness. Suppressing it will do you no good. But he also says that this is not going to be forever. Another Psalms reminds us of this. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning or with the morning. And there's some context to this, I think. You know, you get a speeding ticket. All right, you get one night. Okay, cry it out. All right, you were speeding. You deserved it. Okay, move on. All right, get over it. Slow down. All right. You, you know, I don't know, to the extreme side, lose a loved one? You tell someone they get one night? Uh, no, that doesn't work. Sometimes when we lose a loved one, a spouse, a child, a close friend, man, there may be months of nights, years of nights of, of weeping. 
You're a, you know, you're a junior higher and you lost your crush? A couple days. We'll give you a couple days, okay? We'll give you a couple days, but there's other fish in the sea, eighth grader, okay? You don't even know what love is. No, I'm just kidding. So obviously there's degrees to this. But man, we got to find ways to release and express that, those feelings of sadness. He says in verse 24, you will have abundant joy and no one can rob you of that joy. This is, a, this is where I get really excited about my faith. Jesus is saying you're going to have joy and no one can rob you of that joy. Now think about where they were at in their day, okay? They were going to experience sorrow and joy in a very quick turnaround. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here any longer. I'm leaving you. I'm going away. He was speaking of the crucifixion. I'm going to die. I'm going to die for the sins of mankind. I'm going to be giving my life, and you're going to experience tremendous amount of sorrow and grief and angst. So you can imagine on that Good Friday, their pain, their disillusionment, their frustration, their confusion. You can imagine on Saturday when they have no job and no Jesus, they're probably pretty confused. You can imagine the brokenness that they felt Saturday night, wondering what are we going to do tomorrow, go back to fishing? And some of them did do that. But come Sunday, they experience exuberant joy because Christ rose again. You see, they had joy because when he rose again, he conquered death, sin, and the grave. You will now have the Holy Spirit and his amazing fruits and gifts. You will have the church, other believers who will lift you up and encourage you. And he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So they had all the reason to rejoice because they saw it happen with their own eyes that Jesus rose again. How does it apply to you and I today? Where do we, why do we have joy today? How can no one rob us of, uh, of our joy? Here's what it is. It's recognizing that Jesus paid it all for me. Jesus paid it all for you. His death, burial, and resurrection gave you joy, gave you hope, gave you the Holy Spirit, gave you the church, gave you those around you that love and care for you. See, what's so crazy about life is, man, getting married is a joyful thing. Absolutely. Having children is a joyful thing. I have two of them, and it is incredibly joyful and exciting in my home. The other day, my daughter Liddy says, Daddy, you need to change your attitude. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What'd you say to me? Like, you know? And then she said to me, I love you to the moon and back. I mean, it's awesome, right? You're like, oh, I could kill you, but I could hug you, right? Joy and sadness. <laughs> but, but having children is a joyful thing. Getting a new job is a joyful thing. Getting a promotion is a joyful thing. Buying your new home is a joyful thing. Finding out you're pregnant is a joyful thing. Having the baby and meeting him or her for the first time is a joyful thing. Graduation is a joyful thing. Meeting a friend and starting a relationship and finding someone that you can live your life with is a joyful thing. But there is nothing, my friends, there is nothing more powerful, nothing more exciting, nothing more uplifting than the joy of knowing Jesus. There is nothing that compares to it. And Jesus says no one can rob you of it. No circumstance, no disease, 
no illness, no bad breakup, no job loss, no financial means, nothing can change it, no one can take it, no one can rob you of it. There is joy, an abundant joy, in knowing that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There is nothing more satisfying and joyful than knowing my sins have been forgiven, I'm a child of God, my past is gone, and I'm new in Christ today. How many of you are grateful for salvation today? Absolutely. There's nothing like it, and we should express it. As I wrap this message up, let me give you three things about joy and sadness, how to express it, why we should express both. Number one here, we're going to find true joy in our salvation, and we are going to display that joy to the world. People should see our joy of knowing Christ and want what we have. There should be a godly joy, a centering, an excitement, a joy of knowing Jesus. Knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you no longer are defined by what you've done, knowing that Christ has made you alive in him should give us all joy, abundant joy, fully expressive joy. When it comes to sadness, though, we need to express, I've already said this, but we need to express our sadness in proper outlets. John 11.35 says, Jesus wept. Two shortest verses of scripture, Jesus wept. There are going to be moments of great sadness and pain. And hear me today, in the right context, with the right people, there's nothing wrong with being a wet blanket. In the right context, with the right people, being a wet blanket is not a bad thing. Sadness gets a bad rap. Gosh, you're so dramatic. Man, you're never happy. Wow, you're such a wet blanket. There are people in my life where I can be a wet blanket and they are okay with it. And we all need people like that in our lives. We need two types of people when it comes to sadness. We need some that will give us a little bit of the pep talk. You know, you have friends like this or family members like, all right, You got a bad grade, get over it, come on, you're better than that, you're smart, go for it. You sometimes need that in life, right? Little fiery, ugh, right? Other times, you need someone that knows how to listen and is really good at hugs. And sometimes we need that too. The person that knows how to offer the tissue, gives great hugs, and says, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. You'll get through it. You'll overcome it. There's better days. There's a better year. He doesn't deserve you. Okay, we all need that. We all need that, all right? We all need that. (laughs) Lastly, we're going to learn to remain poised even though we are not perfect. Worship team's gonna make their way up here, but we're gonna learn to control our emotions, not the other way around. Our our emotions do not control us. We control our emotions. We determine how we're going to feel and what we're going to do to respond to those feelings. So I do want to pray for both of these emotions today, specifically for you today. You might be here, and as you hear a message about joy or sadness, maybe, maybe you relate more to the sadness portion. 
Maybe you hear the Psalms that God is near to those who are crushed in spirit. God is near to the brokenhearted. And today you would say to yourself, you know, I'm just full of sadness and grief. I, I got so many emotions of remorse and depression or this weight of a cloud. It's sunny today, but I feel like there's a cloud over my head. And I just want prayer that I can just give that sadness over to God. I could be some in this room today. There's also others in here today where you hear me get all riled up and joyful and excited about Jesus. And you think, man, I, I'm, I'm not joyful about my faith. In fact, I only express my faith when I'm in this room. But out there, no one knows I'm a believer. In fact, there's just no joy in me for Jesus. And your, your, your prayer today is, man, God, would you renew that right spirit in me? Would you make the joy of the Lord be my strength? Would you remind me again of that first love of knowing Jesus and the joy that I'm saved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm no longer held down by the things I've done? So if you're here today, you say, man, I can relate to the sadness one or Man, the joyful one, I need prayer for that. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand, and I'm going to pray for you today. Go ahead and lift up your hand. Keep it up for me today. Just keep it up all over this room. Keep up that hand. I'm going to pray for you today. Let me pray for those who, every, who have their hand up. God, right now, I pray for those whose hands right now lifted may represent sadness. God, they're going through something that's difficult and hard. They, they feel crushed in spirit. Maybe a cloud is weighing over their head. I pray they would be reminded today that Jesus is near the brokenhearted, that God is keeping every tear in a bottle for them, and that he is with you today. He is your comfort. He is your strength. He is your peace. And it's okay to release that pain. It's okay to express your hurt. It's okay to be brokenhearted and sad. It's okay to be a wet blanket at times and express the grievances and the things that have been done to you, God acknowledges that today. He says, come to me and release that sadness and pain. So meet people where they're at today. But Lord, for the hands in the room, maybe God, that, that joy of salvation, that joy of knowing you has been kind of just let go. That fire that was once so bright is now a little candle or a blown out wick. Would you make the joy of knowing you, God, our strength today. When we wake up tomorrow realizing I've been forgiven, I've been set free, I'm no longer defined by my past. My name is written in his book. And so God, I pray you would renew in our hearts the joy of knowing you today, especially for those who maybe feel today they've lost it. But more than anything, would you help all of us to express both of these emotions and help others do the same. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.